0: I'm Arthur Perlstein and this podcast from the True Suspense collection is Creeping Suspicion. This is the story of an outing that was supposed to be nothing but fun and an unforeseen occurrence in the process that demonstrates how quickly one's world can be shattered. What happened was so perplexing and witnesses so scarce that police were stymied and it was difficult even to determine whether or not it was a criminal act. Here is Episode 1 of Creeping Suspicion, entitled, Sudden and Mysterious. The day was Wednesday, May 15, 2019. Jason and Darcy Smith lived in Jefferson City, the capital of Missouri. Aged 44, Jason owned a business called Capital City Truck and Specialty that emphasized the sale of custom trucks. The Smiths were the proud parents of 10-year-old twin boys, but they had arranged to have their sons looked after while they went for a long-anticipated date night at a concert near St. Louis, about a two-hour drive away. Jason and Darcy were both fans of the Dave Matthews Band, one of the most successful jam bands in rock and roll history, particularly renowned for their live shows, though they have sold well over 30 million albums. Born in 1967, Dave Matthews was originally from South Africa, but spent some of his childhood years in New York. He was naturalized as a U.S. citizen in 1980. Matthews moved to Charlottesville, Virginia in the mid-80s, a town where his family had lived for a time before he was born. It was in Charlottesville that his music career launched, after a stint as a bartender. He became part of the local music community and eventually helped organize the group which would become known as the Dave Matthews Band in 1991. It soon became a local phenomenon. In the mid-90s, the band rocketed to the big time. Their first studio album contained major commercial hits including Ants, Marching, What Would You Say, and Satellite. In 1996, the band put out an album called Crash that included the mega-hit single Crash Into Me. The band won a Grammy Award for Best Rock Vocal Performance by a Duo or Group for the song So Much To Say from that same album. Although not for everyone, the Dave Matthews Band has accumulated an incredibly loyal fan base and of bands performing in the past 40 years, they've sold more tickets than any other, except you 2 The New York Times published an article in July of 2023 entitled, Why Are Dave Matthews' Band Fans So Loyal? In it, Matthews attributed this in part to, quote, offering fans a singular experience every night, unquote. He also said that he always wants fans to, quote, have the best time. I want to play music for people that love us deeply. I want to play for everyone, unquote. The Times article would also attribute to Matthews himself a philosophy of life that coincidentally is particularly relevant to what happened on May 15, 2019 in Missouri. According to the New York Times, Matthew's, quote, desire to make the best of whatever muck or gold life throws his way can be attributed to his father, unquote. John Matthews had been a scientist who Dave describes as brilliant beyond my understanding. Dave was only 10 when his dad died of cancer. According to the Times, this is why Matthews says, quote, I feel it is necessary to remind myself of our temporary nature, He would experience that lesson again, and most tragically, in 1994, when his older sister Anne was murdered by her husband in South Africa. So, Jason and Darcy Smith, together with some friends, being among many millions of fans who have followed the Dave Matthews Band to this day, had gotten tickets to see the band at a venue in Maryland Heights, just outside of St. Louis, known as the Hollywood Casino Amphitheater. Like the Dave Matthews Band, the amphitheater launched in 1991. It was originally known as the Riverport Amphitheater. Weeks after opening, The venue achieved nationwide notoriety as the site of what became known alternately as the Riverport Riot or the Rocket Queen Riot. On July 2nd that year, about an hour and a half and 15 songs into their show, the band Guns and Roses began playing their hit song, Rocket Queen. In the midst of the song, Axel Rose noticed a man in the audience with a camera. Now, bear in mind that this was before the era of the smartphone, so it was not the case that virtually everyone had a camera in their pocket. And Rose became extremely disturbed. He began to scream for security yelling out, take that, take that, get that guy and take that. Most people in the crowd including security personnel, could not tell what Axel Rose was pointing to, so security was not able to respond promptly. Furious that no action was being taken, Rose then roared, quote, I'll take it, goddammit! At which point he went diving into the crowd, grabbing the camera and punching its owner. It happened that the group he dove into was a motorcycle gang whose leader was the guy with the camera, and it took some time to extricate axel from the crowd when rose returned to the stage he started screaming again quote, "thanks to the lame ass security i'm going home" unquote. at which point axel rose smashed his mic and marched off the stage with one of the band members saying we're out of here Axel's bandmate Slash and then the rest of the group followed him off the stage. Soon, the lights were turned on in the amphitheater. Disappointed fans started to become furious, and soon a riot ensued, said to have been egged on by taunting from some of the Guns N' Roses road crew. There was substantial violence and serious injuries, including much blood drawn in the crowd. Sixty-five people were injured, including dozens of police officers. Many people were arrested, and many thousands of dollars of damage was done. Axel Rose was charged with having incited the riot, but no arrest was made until almost a year later, because the band had begun touring overseas. Ultimately, Rose was charged, when back in the States, with incitement to riot but a judge later ruled that he did not directly cause the riot and dismiss the charge. However, Guns N' Roses was banned from playing St. Louis for over 25 years, and Axel Rose, who was also charged with four counts of misdemeanor assault and one count of property damage, ended up being fined $50,000. Despite the early misfortune, the amphitheater became a very popular venue in the warmer months and has hosted myriad concerts and music festivals over the past 30-plus years. It went through a couple of name changes and was acquired in 1998 by New York-based SFX Entertainment, which later became part of Live Nation Entertainment that bills itself as the largest live entertainment company in the world. Among other things, Live Nation owns Ticketmaster and over 300 major music venues. In 2014, Live Nation reached a deal with the amphitheater's next-door neighbor, the Hollywood Casino, that gave the casino naming rights, whereby the venue became the Hollywood Casino Amphitheater, as it is still known to this day. Live Nation remains the owner of the venue. In comparison with Guns and Roses, the Dave Matthews Band is quite sedate, and nobody would ever expect violence at one of their concerts. Indeed, all seemed to go extremely well. St. Louis Magazine published an article the next day with the headline, quote, Dave Matthews Band Plays a Seamless Show at Hollywood Casino Amphitheater, unquote. The article opened with the following paragraph. A slightly cool breeze, a nearly full moon, and the eclectic sounds of Dave Matthews' band wafting over the all-ages crowd for two and a half hours made for a perfect night at Hollywood Casino Amphitheater on Wednesday. At this point, the author, Carrie Zukowski, was unaware of the occurrence that had made things far from perfect. She had very accurately observed that, quote, the band seamlessly transitioned from song to song to the delight of the crowd, unquote. After playing through 18 songs, including a cover of Fly Like an Eagle by the Steve Miller Band, Dave Matthews and his bandmates were called back to the stage by the cheering crowd and played two encore songs, as noted by Kerry Zukowski in the St. Louis Magazine article, quote, The night ended on a high note with the song Ants Marching off their 1993 album Remember Two Things. Before the show, the Smiths had purchased a souvenir t-shirt for Darcy and took it to their seats in the right center section of the amphitheater. They enjoyed the concert from an excellent vantage point and stayed through the final encore piece, Ant's Marching. When the show ended shortly after 11 p.m., Darcy and Jason lingered for a few moments and then filed out of the amphitheater with their friends and what remained of the delighted crowd. However, no sooner had they exited than Darcy realized she had forgotten something. The souvenir t-shirt, which she was sure she must have left back at their seats. It would be a short walk to retrieve it, and Jason said it would be no problem. He would retrace their steps to the seats in case Darcy had actually dropped the t-shirt along the way out. He headed back into the amphitheater, promising to be right back after grabbing the shirt. A number of minutes passed, and Jason had not returned. Darcy sent him a two-word text. You okay? She received no reply. A few more minutes passed and Darcy decided to call Jason's cell phone. By this time, it was almost 11.15 p.m. The phone was answered, but it was not Jason on the other end. Instead, it was an emergency medical aide working for the amphitheater who explained that Jason appeared to have been injured. He directed Darcy to the location where he and Jason could be found. She rushed in and was shocked by what she saw. Jason was lying on the ground on a concrete pathway between the seats and the lawn, bleeding from the mouth and ears. He was unresponsive, but Darcy could hear a gurgling sound due to Jason's apparent difficulty breathing. Venue staff implied that Jason might have been drunk, But Darcy assured them that was absolutely not the case. Employees pulled Jason off the ground and loaded him onto a golf cart with which they moved him over to what they referred to as the EMT office. At this point, an ambulance and police were summoned. Paramedics gave first aid and then rushed Jason to DePaul Hospital in nearby Bridgeton. Jason was treated by emergency department physicians and then admitted to the hospital for further treatment in intensive care. Doctors determined that Jason appeared to have suffered a blunt force injury to the back of his head that fractured his skull, as well as a lacerated lip and bruising to his face. Despite heroic efforts to save him, Jason died the next morning. Thursday, May 16th, 2019. It's worth reading directly from his obituary. Quote, "Jason Reed Smith, 44 of Jefferson City, passed away on Thursday, May 16th, 2019, at DePaul Hospital in Bridgeton, surrounded by his loving family and friends." He was born on May 1, 1975, in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, a son of Ronnie Harold and Vicki June Givens Smith. He married Darcy Osborne Smith on June 14, 2014, in Holtz Summit. Jason attended and graduated high school in Jefferson City, and then went on to college and later graduated from Lincoln with a bachelor's degree in agriculture. Trucks were Jason's true passion. He was the owner of Capital City Truck and Specialty. Adventure was his life. He loved taking his boys camping and taking them for rides in the big trucks. There wasn't a game that Jason wasn't at rooting on or coaching his boys. Jason was a competitive racquetball player and enjoyed hanging out with the guys. He was a devoted husband and father, a cherished son and brother, and an all-around great friend. He is survived by his wife, Darcy, his two sons, his parents, Ronnie and Vicki Smith, his sister, Jennifer Oster Brett and his beloved animals june the cat and squirt the dog and many other friends and family unquote. i left out the names of his twin sons who were 10 at the time and would still be minors today near the end of their show at the amphitheater the dave matthews band had played one of their lesser known but powerful and emotional songs that is particularly poignant in light of what Darcy Smith would experience. Grace is Gone tells the story of a man struggling to cope with the loss of a loved one. Matthews wrote this around the time his stepfather, with whom he was close, had died. He explained he found it hard to write a song about a stepfather. It can be interpreted as a song of lost love whether of a family member or a romantic partner. The song was at least partly inspired by a friend of Dave Matthews who had lost his wife and was struggling to find a way to move forward and endure the pain of loss and the fear of being alone. Matthews has referred to Grace has Gone as, quote, one of the best songs I've ever written, unquote. The lyrics include the following lines. Where you end, where I begin, is like a river going through. Take my eyes, take my heart, I need them no more. If never again they fall upon the one I so adore. Police found the mysterious death of Jason Smith to be very suspicious. Maryland Heights police detective Shane Moning explained, quote, Suspicious meaning unknown at this time. We don't believe there's a threat to the public, that's for sure. We are treating it as a suspicious death because we do not know at this time. We're hunting down or we're tracking down all leads and looking into all possibilities. Unquote. Police were, however, experiencing significant frustrations. For one thing, there seemed to be a complete lack of any witnesses to what happened. Detective Moaning said that with no witnesses, they were asking anyone with information or who might have seen what happened to come forward. And there was no surveillance camera footage. Apparently, prior to Jason's death, the amphitheater had plans to install surveillance cameras, but just hadn't gotten around to doing it. The only thread of a lead police had was the fact that a person had contacted security at the amphitheater to report a seriously injured man, who turned out to have been Jason. In a press release, police said the following about him. Quote, Our ongoing investigation has determined that a person described as a white male in his late 20s may have witnessed the victim fall to the pavement. This person summoned a security guard and stated he saw the injured man and that his injuries were very serious. The Good Samaritan, if that is what he was, informed security personnel that he was in the medical field and that he knew that if the man didn't get help soon, he was going to die. Yet, the man who had called security was unidentified. Police asked the public for help in locating him in hopes that he might have further information. They also reached out to Dave Matthews' social media in an attempt to find the man. They theorized that there were people at the concert from all over the United States so it was possible the man was not even aware that police were wanting to speak with him. Darcy Smith told the press that a neurologist who examined Jason told her he had died from blunt force trauma to the head that involved more trauma than would be expected from a fall. He said the back of Smith's skull was fractured and there were other wounds on the front of his head. Maryland Heights Detective Sergeant Rich White spoke to reporters and had this to say. Quote, Right now we're just trying to find out. Was it an accident? Was it nefarious? Was it foul play? We don't know and we're keeping all options open. The family wants answers and we do too. We're trying to think out of the box every which way we can to determine what caused this man's death. Unquote. Chip Gentry, an attorney acting as a spokesman for Jason's family, said that they do not believe Jason ever made it to his seats before getting injured by someone or something, hitting him, and added that no t-shirt was found near Jason, while commenting that, quote, Jason was not the kind of guy that's going to fight someone for a t-shirt, unquote. Gentry also had this to say about Jason's family, quote, They're devastated. You can't fathom going to a Dave Matthews Band concert on a Wednesday evening and being struck by something which cost you your life. We will certainly dig deep to hold those responsible accountable, unquote. Gentry also spoke about Jason himself. He was a great businessman and father to his twin boys. He ran a really neat car lot in town that specialized in custom trucks. There were a thousand people at his memorial service. He had a good reputation and a lot of friends. When KRCG-TV posted the news on its Facebook page, There were many people who weighed in with their thoughts. A woman named Carrie wrote, Someone knows something. People saw something. Speak up. And speak up was in all caps. Jennifer wrote, Jason Smith was an amazing man with an equally amazing family. My heart is breaking for Darcy and the boys. I pray justice is swift. When whomever did this is captured. Unquote. Jeffrey wrote, quote, If there was blunt force not from a fall, then there is DNA of the attacker present on the body. Unquote. And Sandra wrote, quote, Prayers to Jason's family. Very nice man. I pray justice is served to the scum who did this. Unquote. By the middle of June, police were still desperate to find answers and were having very limited success. Autopsy results confirmed the kind of injuries that caused Jason Smith's death, but as underscored by Maryland Heights Detective Sergeant White, this did not explain what led to such severe injuries. And Sergeant White also had this to say, quote, there were theories that maybe he was struck with a chair. We have found no evidence for this. The EMS that were there at the scene even said that's the first thing they thought of is maybe he was hit with something. But there was nothing laying around or near him on the ground. Unquote. And despite repeated calls for him to step forward, the man who first reported Jason's injury was still nowhere to be found. Police widened their investigation and talked to a variety of people who had still been in the amphitheater when Jason went back in, but were unable to draw definitive conclusions. Sergeant White said the investigation's lead officer was so committed to solving the case that he was even working on it on his own time. Jason's injuries were extensive, and apparently included a fractured skull, contusions to his brain, referred to as contric hoop, hemorrhaging and massive brain swelling, in addition to lacerations and bruising on his face. Some of the details of the medical findings are difficult to understand, so I turn to an expert we've relied on before at True Suspense, long-time emergency room physician, Dr. Paul Baker. Dr. Baker, thank you for joining us.
1: Well, thanks for having me. It's great to be back on the podcast again.
0: So, I've given you what we have of the medical reports, and much of it, to me at least, might as well be in Greek, coup if I'm pronouncing it correctly, contusions to the brain, right and left orbital gyrus rectus and temporal poles, along with subdural hemorrhage and massive brain swelling with a right to left midline shift and marked herniation involving both the left and right tentorial regions, central herniation with total effacement of the basilar cistern, etc., etc.,
1: can you translate this into plainer English for us? Certainly. Let me try to break it down for you. Um, contusion, pretty much what it sounds like, a bruise. Contra-coup, contusion means that you were struck on one side of the head and basically your brain bounced to the other side and bruised that side of the brain. Uh these temporal poles uh, and uh, orbital regions are just various parts of the brain indicating that he wasn't injured in just one area. Uh, subdural hemorrhage is very frequent uh, in these type of injuries and implies that there is bleeding between the surface of the brain and the dura, which is the thick membrane around the brain. Uh, when you have injuries like this, you get swelling both from the bleeding and from the brain tissue as it swells. Uh, And unfortunately, the the skull is a rigid case. Uh, There's not a lot of room for swelling. And as the swelling increases, the pressures increase, and it will actually cause the brain to herniate. It'll push usually the top portion of the brain uh, down into the brainstem, the lower portions of the brain. That's where the vital functions such as heartbeat and breathing will occur. And this tends to be a pre-terminal or eventually terminal event for the patient uh, and uh, is usually the cause of death in uh, severe head trauma that we're seeing here.
0: Okay, Dr. Baker, well, the man with these injuries was rushed to the hospital by ambulance starting out in the ER, which is your territory. So can you describe what doctors and medical staff would have been doing for him before admitting
1: him to intensive care? Certainly. Um, All emergency care is based on the ABCs. Uh, A for airway, B for breathing, C for circulation. So both the ambulance personnel and the ER personnel will be focusing on these vital functions first. Uh, Airway needs to be secured. You need to make sure that the person can breathe Their airway is open. Uh, You need to know they have a stable blood pressure and can perfuse circulation to the brain. So when this gentleman came in, the first thing that would be uh, secure would be the airway. And that usually, in a severely traumatized patient such as this, would involve innovation, putting a breathing tube uh, into the lungs to assist respiration. That would also allow you to take the patient emergently to the CAT scanner because you'd want to scan the head, and in this case, the neck, and maybe even the chest and the abdomen, looking for traumatic injuries. Uh, In this particular case, where we know there was eventually a subdural that was found, there's bleeding in the brain, you'd want to identify this very quickly, and as soon as you have the results of the CAT scan, you will be calling your neurosurgeons, your trauma team, to come in and attempt to save this gentleman's life now after
0: the ER he was
1: admitted into intensive
0: care and treated among others by by a neurosurgeon but he didn't last long and died the next morning given what you know
1: about these injuries do you think anything could have been done to save him well from the report I'm getting here he had severe head trauma a neurosurgeon may be able to operate and relieve some of the bleeding But in this case, there was so much trauma to the brain tissue itself and so much increased pressure that I don't think there's a lot they could have done. This gentleman may well have been brain dead very shortly after he got to the hospital. Um, And again, I don't think there's a lot that anybody could have done given the severity of injuries in this particular case.
0: Um, Well, in addition to the apparently fatal injuries, there were some other things that were observed about him even even when the man's wife first came and saw him on the ground he appeared to be bleeding from the mouth and ears was making a gurgling sound they called it, it had difficulty breathing seemingly had bruises on his face uh, given the massive injuries plus these other issues what what kind of thing might have happened the, i mean the only thing police know for sure Is that the man went back into the amphitheater after the end of the concert to retrieve a t-shirt and was found lying on the ground on on a concrete path with nobody around and no sign of any object around him so what are the possibilities you can think of
1: yeah well this was significant trauma this was not an individual tripping and falling and hitting their head This would involve either a major assault, say, being hit with a baseball bat repeatedly, a fall from a a decent height. We're talking 10 or 20 feet, uh, or, you know, in in a car accident, uh, something significant like that. This was uh, major trauma, uh, which unfortunately in this gentleman's case led to loss of life.
0: Um, Now... um one question you know between the time that he got these injuries and the and the time that he ended up passing away which which, which wasn't that long it was the next morning um would, would he have would he have experienced pain and and and, and suffered much or would, would,
1: would he have just been completely out of it can be a bit hard to say. Certainly, he would have had pain uh, from the initial injuries, whatever that mechanism may be. Uh, He uh, deteriorated, it sounds, relatively rapidly. Once you become comatose, after a certain point, you probably would not be aware of any pain. uh, And eventually, in this case, I suspect he was declared brain dead. Uh, So at some point, he would not be feeling pain and suffering. Well, Dr. Baker, thanks very much for joining us. Uh, Always great to have you. My pleasure.
0: Meanwhile, in July of 2019, two months after Jason Smith's sudden death, a memorial benefit gathering to celebrate Jason's life was held at 60-acre Apple Creek Farm in rolling countryside west of Jefferson City. Part of the celebration was a truck show in his honor, only fitting based on Jason's passion for trucks. In addition to family and a great many friends, many who attended were total strangers who drove their trucks, bikes, jeeps, cars from far and wide to show their support. Vicki Smith, Jason's mom, expressed how moving it was for the family, it's just awesome that everyone came out today to support his going on to heaven and living a life that he knows he should, unquote. All the proceeds from the memorial benefit were slated for a college fund for Jason and Darcy's two young sons. Halfway through their concert at the Hollywood Casino Amphitheater, the Dave Matthews Band played a song from their third studio album, Called The Stone, the song has a somewhat dark and haunting sound, reflecting a complex emotional struggle. Some interpret the stone of the title as referring to a gravestone and representing death. The opening line of The Stone sets the tone for the rest of the song. Quote, I've this creeping suspicion that things here are not as they seem. Join us next week in the second and final episode of Creeping Suspicion as we fast forward a year and find that further investigation has given rise to a compelling theory of what happened to Jason Smith. Stay tuned for Creeping Suspicion Episode 2, Crash Into Me. Creeping Suspicion is a production of True Suspense Podcasts. Written and narrated by me, Arthur Perlstein. Music, sound engineering, and post-production by Guy Bainbridge at Walls End Studios. Be sure to visit truesuspense.com for more information about this podcast and other True Suspense productions. If you like what you hear, please help us spread the word. Don't forget to subscribe and rate us wherever you listen to the podcast. It helps new listeners find us.